Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another recording and show for the Creating Structure podcast. Thanks for joining me. It is my pleasure today to announce our guest, Mr. Mike Russo, president of SPS Corporation. Mike, welcome to the show. Thanks, John. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here. Really appreciate it. It's great to have you. Mike and I were just chatting before uh, we hit record that his son-in-law started in left field for the rest of the day. What's his, is his first game? Yeah, so he, um, he and my daughter went to school together and um, high school, and they went out for like a month. And then my daughter went on to Coastal Carolina on a soccer scholarship, and he went to South Carolina on a baseball scholarship. So I've known this young man forever. My daughter then went to South Carolina, graduated, got married, and he's worked his way up through the minors. And um, he got called up earlier in the year, got hurt, but he's up there now um, playing for the Reds in left field. So hopefully he continues and they have a good playoff run. Well, yeah, the big red machine. Of course, I'm an Indians fan, but it's a great rivalry, you know, northeast to southwest across the state of Ohio. Um, yeah, Max has uh, been to it, got traded a couple times. So he was with the Nationals originally and then on with the Cardinals and I mean the A's Cardinals and now he's there. So uh, hopes he hope he does well. Yeah. What's his name? Yeah. Max Schrock. Yeah. Max he's Schrock. A utility player, but he's, he's, uh, he's a hitter. He, he's, he's hitting the ball really well right now. So that's good. We can talk baseball a long time. I just watched, uh, Moneyball again with Brad Pitt. Oh, what a great movie. I love the movie when he looks at the young assistant GM and he goes, why do we want him? He gets on base. He gets on base. Yeah. It's all about getting on base. Well, Max got traded from the Nationals to the A's, and that's exactly how it was. There was like a constant um, players coming in. Um, they did their draft pick, but they were constantly looking for that guy that could – if he walked five times a game, they wanted him, you know? Right. So. That's good. I love it. Okay. So Mike Russo, you're president of SPS Corporation. So tell us where you're from. Tell us the background. You know, I already said where you work, but just talk about your space in the industry. You're pretty well known. Um, you've had a couple of really significant positions and you go back to some of the early days of the curtain wall industry. So just Tell us who you are, where you went to school, what your background is, et cetera. Yeah, so it's a it's a it's a trend, it's a long story, but I'll I'll get started. So I grew up in a little town in Pennsylvania called Lock Haven, Pennsylvania. And it's right beside Williamsport, Pennsylvania, where the Little League World Series is played. So that's the only claim to fame there. So um Went to Lycoming College, which was in Williamsport, Pennsylvania. Um, first in my family, my mom and dad uh, both passed away before I graduated high school. So my brother and I had to figure out uh, a lot of things in life. And somehow I ended up um, putting myself through college. Wow. My brother went on to work uh, for Piper Aircraft in town. And then he um eventually started his own gc business and has, has been very successful at that you know smaller in lock haven pennsylvania in that area so but anyhow after i graduated high school i'm like okay i mean college i'm like all right i'm gonna 
take my 75 uh, Nova and drive to New York City. And I had a friend there in Long Island. My wife today was my girlfriend in high school. She, she was from there. Wow. So I had some synergy. So I drove it there, got there, broke down, and decided, all right, here's what I'm, I'm going to try and find a job just so I could pay rent. That was the, the goal. And went to work for a company. I, caught, I went on a customer service ad. And um, next thing I know, uh, the lady is the the wife of the husband. He goes, well, you got a four-year degree. I, I can't put you in customer service. Um, I'm going to send you over to my sons who run this other division. And they gave me a test, which was reading architectural drawings. And I'm like, I didn't go to school for, you know, uh, I went to school for advertising, mass communications. I wanted to go to New York and be in this advertising industry and all the things you saw on, on TV. And um, it, it turns out that, oh, you can read drawing. So they did work for material handling in, in factories. So conveyor systems, things like that. Um, so that's how I started in New York. I had enough money to, to pay my rent. I rented a garage, a lady owned a garage that she fixed up and I lived in there. Was that in Long Island? I was in Long Island, correct. Um, Northport, Long Island. And that's how I started playing golf, which is a big hobby of mine. Um, they had a, they had a uh, nine-hole course there that was um, $4 to play. That's and, wonderful. <laughs> so the, the next thing, I worked there a couple of years, um, and then Flower City um, came calling, and... I interviewed several times and I didn't have any experience in the curtain wall business at all at the time, but had some architectural experience with this other company. And John Stevens, my uh, boss, who was close to retirement at the age, probably 64, um, hired me after several interviews with several people there and said, look, I'm going to train you in the industry, but you know, you have to have the ability to, to call on architects and, and do all this. So John worked for couples, General Bronze, General Bronze, most of his career, which was a big old time curtain wall company in New York. Yeah, I know them. Yeah. And then he went to work for um, Flower City. And I, I don't have all his history, but he was you'd walk into a meeting at Skidmore's office and it was like, Hey, John, how you been? You know, he's like that, that guy. Yeah. You know? And, um, so that's how it, that's how it all started with me. Um, I got a yep. quick question. Yeah. How did flower city come calling? Was there an ad in the paper that you were following up or did you interact with them in your job with this manufacturing group or how did that happen? Uh, no, it was a headhunter. A headhunter. Um, yeah, a headhunter that they specifically um, used up there and same one I used to hire Jeff Heyman. I know you guys had talked about that earlier who now works for Benson or, or MyTech, but yeah, they had a guy that they used and he just you know, cold called me and, and that's how I got introduced into this, um, into this whole industry, you know, back when I was 20, 
five. So a couple of three years out of college. Were you there before Jeff Heyman? Yes. Yeah, I actually hired Jeff. Um, Jeff and I are about the same age. I think he's a year or two younger than me, but same same headhunter. Um, Jeff worked for uh, Cowall at the time. Mm-hmm. And nothing against Cowall, but I remember in the interview with him, um, he wasn't uh, overjoyed with, he was worked for him for about a year and covering New Jersey and everything else. And, uh, well, you know, Jeff, I mean, this, this, this guy that's my age, this dynamic guy comes walking into the office, you know, Jeff could, you know, the thing at Flower City was if Jeff were like a bird dog, he would, he would be out in that pond and he'd be grabbing every bird there is because <laughs> he initially like me didn't know anything about the industry but he had the ability to have a conversation with anybody um and and be very um proactive in in everything he did so yeah I yeah a lot of respect for jeff he was he was i've employed a lot of people here he's one of the best guys i ever uh ever had the pleasure of being with, but yeah. Um, yeah. I got hired there and um, you basically follow John Stevens around doing all this cold calling in New York city. And um, you know, the next, um, next thing I know there was this job and I'll never forget it. This is your, 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 you know, your claim to fame and, and one things you remember and uh there was a job in Brooklyn called Brooklyn Union Gas Company. And it was only this 15, 18 story building. And uh, John Stevens goes, yeah, you go to this one because it was a stone building with punched openings. And um, they thought that it would go, you know, stone on truss with punched openings. And that wasn't Flower City's, Flower City's deal. But I went in and back of then it was, it was Larry McGovern. Um, wow. Larry McGovern Bovis. Wow. It's been a while. Yeah. So this young guy who was a hot shot there and I won't, I won't give his name, but I, I did become friends with him later. I go in and I'm like, all right, I don't know crap about this, but I'm going to go in there and, you know, John sent me here. I got to go. And basically, that I got my first initial. I was probably there a year. I probably got my first initial taste of New York. And I'm trying to tell them, you know, this is how we do unit. Time. Well, how are you going to put stone in? Yeah, I want a whole system. I don't want just punched openings. Well, I'm trying to fake my way through it, you know. <laughs> and finally, he says, slaps my, uh, he slaps his book shut, and he goes, "Why don't you send somebody back here who knows what the hell they're talking about?" Ouch! Ouch! So I left the office. I'm devastated. And I go to John and he goes, ah, we didn't want that job. Anyhow, next thing I know, he calls and I go in with Roger Albright, who was one of the he was the head of engineering in Flower City. And um, so I'm back and and this guy was like, all right. So Ross, Rock, Roger goes through this whole thing with him that well, we can curve, we can do a stick system, curve the stone, slide the stone down, put windows in. We end up getting the job. And from that, I became good friends with this guy. But that was my introduction to New York City was, yeah. You, getting thrown out of an office. 
getting thrown out of an office because I was trying to, I was wasting his time. And I was, you know, and John never did that to me again. But, you know, those lessons in life are good. You have to, you have to learn those uh, rejections and that stuff. So. Mike, that is, that is absolutely a gem of a story from you and for our audience. I want to make a couple of quick inputs and then a couple questions. First of all, shout out to everybody. You never know when you've hired your future CEO, because here you were a young kid from Lycoming College, you come in, you wind up becoming CEO of Flower City. You'll have to tell the, for those audience members that don't know about, a little bit more about Flower City, and then eventually CEO of, of SPS. And you'll have to tell us what you do at SPS and what SPS is all about. Right. Um, and I also, if Jeff Haber is happening to listen to the show, Jeff Haber of WNW, um, he was talking about picking up the sticks this year, maybe grabbing a lesson or two in golf. And he sent me a note not long ago saying, I still haven't grabbed the golf clubs, but uh, perhaps this will inspire him. Maybe you, could get, maybe you could get him for a round of golf at some point. Hey, anytime. I, I belong to a club down here. And anytime he wants to come down to North Carolina, the weather's great. And I can't, I can't put him up for four bucks a round, but, you know. That, <laughs> yeah, those uh, days are gone, right? Yeah, I remember, uh, you know, being in Flower City, the W&W and the whole Haber family being involved before the whole Pilkington thing. So what a great success story they were um, over the years, just how they grew to what they were. There's some great familial success stories that we've talked about on the show. So anyway, let's get back into this. So you're hired by Flower City. Yeah. You're obviously in a sales client chase job. But right. so how did you go from that position? I mean, Flower City, first of all, give people the quick elevator pitch on who Flower City is and what they did. And then I know there are still many in the industry who have roots from that tree, you included. How did you wind up becoming CEO? What did Flower City do, et cetera? Yeah. So Flower City was, as I said in earlier, you know, a, a 20 story that the, the the gist of that story was a 20-story building or lower really wasn't in their in their uh, in their strike zone. It was the big stuff, the big custom stuff. So it was Flower City, Couples, um, Glass Alone. They were the big guys in New York back in those days. Yeah, and um, so that's the kind of monumental stuff that that they did. Um, you know, it's John Stevens. Uh, ended up a couple years later getting ready to retire. Um, I hired Jeff. That whole process was moving. And we were owned by Cyclops Steel that eventually was bought by Armco Steel. Mm -hmm. That whole mixture was going on at the time. And we built the new facility down in Johnson City, Tennessee. It was 80,000 square feet of fab and another 150,000 square feet of assembly. So they were somewhat interested in what we were doing because of those investments. And they sent a consultant out to Flower City. And we were all told it was because uh, he's gonna look at processes, ways to be more efficient, engineering papers to shop, all that stuff. And he just spent about three months there. And um, Oscar kept hinting to me that Hey, Mike, come here. You understand? Well, Oscar used to talk in that. Oscar you know, Drucker, the president. 
who was the president at the time. Oscar's about 67. Um, hey, Mike, come here. Um, I want you to understand that, you know, you're a young guy, but you can have a great future. And he kept telling me things like that. And I'm like, okay. And then we were sister companies with E.G. Smith, Flower City. E.G. Smith was under Armco as well. Okay. They got into a little, they had a couple of years or so that the things weren't great. So Oscar became president of E.G. Smith and he would take me out there with him. And I, and so he'd give me these speeches all the time to make a long story short, the consultant, um, Ron O'Grodnick, I'll never forget him, um, came, uh, called me one day and said, Hey, can you meet me in the Pittsburgh airport TGI Fridays? And he said, Hey, I've been out there and I'm going to recommend you as president to Armco. And he had already talked to Oscar and, and Julie Glassman, our CFO about it. And I'm 32 years old and I'm like, what? You know, it was, <laughs> it was so far off my radar that I, I, you know, when someone tells you that you're like, well, hell yeah. I'm like, whoa, wait a minute. You know, Flower City was a $125 million company back then. And that was and big was, back then. You know, six years, but you know, so it was a little bit. And then, you, you know, after that all happened and all was good, you got to deal with, you know, the hard part that I learned was um, you have to deal with the guys that are 50 and 55 that didn't get the position. And now you're, you got to rely on them to, to run the unions in New York and the shop in Tennessee. And so it was a little tumultuous the first year or so. I'll bet that was quite a lesson. I want to ask you more about that, but you know, Johnson city, Tennessee today, many who work in the industry, um, are from Johnson City, and there's this history with Johnson City. Why did Flower City select Johnson City? Was it a transportation hub? Was it a labor cost? Was it all of that? Like, what? Why Johnson City? Because it's it's maintained its presence in the industry since then. Yeah. So we were in Minneapolis, Minnesota, which is hence the Flower City, F L O U R, which is the flower capital of the United States, Pillsbury, and gold bond, all there. Um, so we were always there making, and this was Oscar's deal because when I became president, it was already in Johnson City, but I was involved. I in, see. In that. Yeah, but it was all about the unions. We would guarantee 125 jobs a year. And if you didn't have that, and you know that the curtain wall business, especially unitized is so secular. We were, just to let you know, we did, phone booths, Abrams tank plenums, all trying to fill voids of the ups and downs, one job ending and the next one starting, you know, 20, 30, $40 million jobs. You can never time them perfectly. So that just became a burden, I think, with uh, Armco. And I think they were actually in Henderson, North Carolina, is where they had put an assembly shop. And the workforce there was not um, what they were expecting. Mm -hmm. So they were driving back to Minnesota and went through Johnson City and said, wow, this is a beautiful place. And next assembly area became that. The workforce was um, more consistent. And that's how it just was picked. It was, it was, uh, they've told me those stories. And then when I became president, it was already there. And, um, 
And then we tried to consolidate everything. And that's how I ended up in the South because, you know, if the, sh- if the captain doesn't go with the ship, it's uh, no one else was going to move from New York. Uh, yeah. Interesting. Well, yeah. and I know pioneer, I think they still have an engineering group there. Our David Tamplin, who works for us, who prior to us worked for service class. City, yeah. yeah, he was at Flower City in Johnson City, Tennessee. He was uh, on LinkedIn said, uh, I think it was happy, um, happy birthday to Glenn Lane, who is Glenn Lane. Uh, yeah, probably one of the guys working for we hired all those guys out of Northeast State uh, Community College there. Yeah, a very good one. And um, they all turned out all the younger guys we brought in. Bill Morrison was there with us as our engineer and um, but really good group of guys. So, so um, Flower City was one of the preeminent curtain wall companies. They have their roots in in much of what transpired from that point forward. Unitizers, big monumental curtain wall company. And so you worked for them. And then at some point you made the change to SPS, which is the corporation. You're a, an owner, president, CEO. So how did that transpire moving from Flower City to SPS? I know Flower City eventually sold or did they close their doors or how did that work? So we did a job in Bangkok and um, the contact there uh, was a Chinese guy, Berkeley graduate, really, really, you know, um, yeah, I don't know what, I don't know what the right word is, but, you know, really a good guy that, uh, Canadian citizen grew up here pretty much in Canada and, and went to Berkeley, but he had connections on how that, who gets the job over there. So he came to us, Bechtel said, Bechtel was doing the job and said, we'll let you do this job. If you get flower city, glass alone, or maybe a flower city couples or glass alone or Midwest curtain wall to do all the engineering and to run the job. And so he came a calling and um, I remember Tom Kretschmer, my sales guy out in the Midwest was dealing back and forth with them. And I said, well, let's just double the engineering cost. I don't want to sell my engineering. What, what good is yeah. selling engineering? You know, you don't get anything out of it. I said, now nah, let's triple the engineering. Well, he bought it and we would have made great money, but that introduction with him, then Armco at the time had 22 divisions and they were going from diversification. They owned Busy Beavers. They owned Silo, which was a, a electronic stores. They were trying to get back to their core business. So, of course, Flower City was not in the electrical general steel business producers. And so he made a call. Armco said, let's listen. Um, his friend that had all the connections was with the New World Group, which is a big developer over there. And between the two of them, they pulled off the sale of, of um, Flower City. So I see. I hung in there. We did an IPO. I did the road show. It was quite an experience. But after that, it sort of changed. And um, he then sort of took command. And he said black. I said white. And I said, you know, it's time to go. So I resigned. He treated me well. Um, you know, I had a year or two to figure out what I was going to do by, um, you know, he's, he signed a couple of documents for me that, that helped me there. And 
I talked to Randy Wolf, who was a great guy at Walters and Wolf. He flew out and he flew his jet out to Johnson City, Tennessee. Yeah, I know Randy. Yeah. Yeah, what a great guy. He and his wife came out. I would have pulled that. They had an opening in to run their Arizona office. Okay, in Phoenix. Yeah, and um, I would have pulled that trigger. But my wife, we had young kids at the time. Her mom, her dad had just passed away. He was living across the street from us. We had moved them down from Long Island. So the timing just sucked. But um, what a great guy he was. And I almost did that. And then Clay Shambly, who ran SPS here, they are a century of panel dealer. He used to work for E.G. Smith. Okay. And so the old connection sort of connecting. And he said, well, we're thinking about starting a glass division. Would you be interested? And I'm like, geez. What a, you know, there's a lot of difference between starting a glass business and running one that has CNC machinery in it and 100% expertise in engineering and everything else. So I said, let me do a consulting arrangement. I'll drive back. We'll work there the week. We'll see, get a lay of the land. Well, I started um, pretty much liking the area. And then a couple of century of jobs they had, um, I was able to make a deal with Old Castle and make a deal with Conier, people I had never worked with because we had at Flower City, we had no interaction with the standard curtain. Yeah, guy. it was all custom. Right. Um, but um, it, really, it was Old Castle. And, and um, so I made a deal. And we got a little job. And next thing we, we you know, we bid another job downtown and started getting that. So we started our first job, I think was $40,000 20 years ago. And we were fabbing in the back, um, the back of the shop. We had a press break, a shear, cause they used all that for brake metal. And we just sort of held our own for a couple of years. And then um, I hired a guy that had some ACM experience and we grew the ACM side. And then uh, about 10 years ago, in fact, it's been 10 years ago this past February, we started the buyout of clay and um, that all went well. And, you know, we were, this office did about $6 million back then in century of type panels. Um, probably about a million dollars of that was glass eventually. And um, now last year we did over 55 million and mostly it's, it's glass ACM panel integration, integrated envelope basically is what we try and do. Yeah. And unless I missed it, tell the audience where, this is what area are you in yeah apex north carolina is just just south of raleigh north carolina so we pretty much go all of north carolina south carolina um, i do not go into dc but i do uh, do southern virginia and we've done work in georgia and florida based on you know customers taking us there sure okay good so apex north carolina so you started as a consultant wound up just yeah. basically assuming leadership there. Yeah. Nine months later, I signed on full-time with a ownership in the um, glass division. And over time, we ended up um, buying out the original owners where SPS was started in Fort Wayne, Indiana. And then eventually um, uh, Clay here in and Dan Herstad up in Fort Wayne, Indiana. So SPS started in Fort Wayne, Indiana in 1982. And SPS stands for Structural Product Sales, has nothing to do with 
So they used to sell like decking and stuff to steel companies, concrete companies that would, and then they evolved into metal roofing. Then they evolved into Centria type panels, E.G. Smith type panels. And then when I got here, we evolved into glass, ACM, uh, cementitious panels now, the phenolic panels, all that. So we do pretty much anything on the exterior. You know what? Thank you for telling me that. I never knew what SPS stood for, structural product sales. Yeah. So to go from, from sheet metal and roofing and different things to vertical panels, yeah. insulated panels to aluminum composite metal ACM, and then to probably strip windows and punched openings and glass and glazing. Fascinating how that entomology is fascinating. Yeah, because yeah. Fort, Fort Wayne is not known for their curtain wall. They are known, Fort Wayne and Kukumo are known for their metals industry. That's for sure. And that's exactly what they did up there. Um, and, you know, it was um, Dan Herstad who runs, the, he still works for me. I bought him out, but he's such a great guy. He, um, uh, he still, you know, runs that little division for us, you know, takes a salary to do so. Monty Weinbrenner, who's up there, I call their names out because they're just tremendous guys. And that's good. You know, that, whole, that whole thing was me starting 20 years ago, but it is nothing but great people. We've just been so fortunate to, yep. to hire the right people. And and I'm sure you've you have the same success story, but. SBS's success is all about the people that are sitting in this 45,000 square foot off uh, place here. So. Yeah, no doubt. Thanks for saying that. And it sounds like you enjoy the people you work with, which is a big deal. Sounds oh, like I, you like them. Yeah, that's a great point. Um, one of the things that we were going to talk about earlier was what, you know, what is the difference? What are some of the changes in I thought of this, what are some of the changes that getting prepared for the podcast, the difference between a flower city and an SBS? Well, the size of course was much different, but we followed a lot of the Armco rules. You know, we had procedures for, we actually had a procedure in the book on, you know, everything had to have Armco seal, had to have this. We had a procedures book that was three inches thick. We had one on where to put a staple in the corner and I said, you know, all that was great and it teaches discipline and all that. But when I came here, I'm like, we're not going to do that. We spent <laughs> so much time here compared to our families. And we have a golf league, 16 people are participate. They leave every other Thursday and go play. And, and we come and say, but you know what? They're here Friday and Saturday when they need to be. So people have issues. We just try and be as flexible as we can with them. And it's worked out. We've, I, if I went around the office, I, I, I think the longevity is 15, 16 years, 14 years, 13 years. And, and that's not because of me. It's because we've, uh, myself and my CFO worked for me at Flower City as well, Chris Craney. That's um, good to know. Yeah, he was the controller there and um, came here in the early stages. And uh, he's actually my minority partner, so... Um, we've been together for 20 years and it's been a great relationship. So that's great. Thanks for introducing that and shouting out those folks. I'm sure they will appreciate it. So 
You did a $55 million last year. You said that's a combination of glass and panel, exterior, exterior cladding, phenolic panels, metal panels, glass glazing. Right. Um, what's, what's the, I mean, maybe this is a redundant question, but what does SPS, what's the focus of SPS? You know, like Flower City, do you try to get in on the ground floor with an architect and help them design? Do you bid private, public? I mean, how do you guys approach jobs? Do you like to do the whole exterior envelope as an exterior wall subcontractor or just portions of it or all of it? Like what, what's, what's the difference with SPS down there? Yeah, that's really it. I think the majority of our work comes as we will bid panels, we'll bid glass, we'll bid two or three different um, scopes of work. And then we'll always say, if, if you want, we'll give you a combo package because we can take out some overhead equipment differences and all that. And that's pretty much how we get work. Starting out, we used to bid a lot of CM at risk down here, they called it, uh, where it's public opening three, you had to have three numbers. And that's how we got our start. We don't do a lot of that anymore because we're, we're known now for being able to take care of the entire envelope. And that's what we try and sell. We don't, I mean, we're doing a, and you, you, you did the engineering for us on the, um, um, your office here did a lot of the engineering for uh, 301 Hillsborough, mm-hmm. uh, one story building downtown that um, is all glass. So, you know, we don't just look for combo jobs, but, um, and I think the other thing is for the area where we have really good financial strength. And I think our customers uh, look at that and, and don't worry about, you know, giving us a job and making sure that we can handle all the uh, commitments for cash flowing jobs and everything. So, yeah. Are you the biggest uh, glazing subcontractor or shall I say, uh, full service manufacturer, subcontractor of your type in Raleigh, Durham, Cary area in that section of North Carolina? I would say yes. I, I, I'm, I'm absolutely very confident in saying yes there. When you get to Charlotte, I, I probably probably am as well there, but uh, you have a couple other competitors there that have, you know, do the bigger work down there. So Yeah. Talk to us about you know, many of us like you, uh, you've, well, I shouldn't say like you, many of us are familiar with unitized system, but the typical progression that we've been used to in the industry is people start with stick wall standard, stick wall custom, unitized. But if you're in a big city now and you hire into the industry, unless you're doing a podium, you're probably doing unitized curtain wall, but you started in unitized curtain wall, but you rarely do a unitized curtain wall now. Talk about that. That's because of the market there and the labor and the, how they approach everything. Yeah, we used to say in New York, if we could figure out a way to get it to jump off the truck and onto the building, you're going to make money in New York. So it is do everything you can in the factory and do as little bit in New York. I will say this about the unions in New York: there was no, they were trained, they were well trained guys, um, but you know, the cost to, to employ them was, was really expensive. So um, you were going to make or break yourself in, in the field in New York. And that's the evolution of unitized curtain wall mm-hmm. down here. My shop rates more than my field rate. So that is such a unique paradigm to the South. Because you're, you're hiring 
the same type worker, non-union worker in the, in the field that you are in the shop. And then in the shop, I got to add, you know, a million dollars worth of equipment overhead. I have trucks and, and lights and overhead and all that. So it just, the, the burden rate goes up and the field you're paying them, you know, there's no real burden out there, except for your own superintendents and, and everything else. So um, we have, like I told you maybe a little bit earlier, um, we have tried, I've known Juan Speck with, uh, with soda glazing. Um, I, my shop being, being from Flower City, I have a, I think we have one of the best state of the art shops for Con Air Old Castle stick systems with uh, CNC machines for both ACM and, and sticks, but don't have the room to do um, the unitized type fabrication and or assembly. So we've tried with soda glazing and Juan Speck, what a, you know, I have a lot of respect for him. We worked back with him in Flower City years ago. Um, even Antimax out of Canada and some other guys. And we've tried that there's some been perfect unitized type jobs down here. Cause that's my goal. I want to, I, I, I want to do a unitized job. Um, one for the, to show the area how uh, quickly it can be done from yeah. the start and the quality of it. Uh, and of course I came from that industry. So it, it's what I grew up on, but you know, right now the dollars just don't work out. It's 15, 20% more expensive to do unitized down here. And not a lot of people have pulled that trigger. Now there has been a couple of unitized jobs. Pioneer did one down here up in Durham. So, mm -hmm. so unless an owner is committed and says, I'm paying, I'm going to pay the lowest price for a unitized wall, but I want a unitized wall because of the shop quality control, et cetera. It's not going to happen. Yeah, that's my opinion of it. And um, it's not usually driven by dollars. It's driven by an owner saying, I don't want to deal with quality issues in the future. Or, I know these guys. I've worked with them somewhere else or something like that. So, so we'll eventually. are you doing standard, what we would call standard? Are you doing Old Castle, Conier, YKK type standard off the shelf systems with some customization, or are you doing your own customized stick walls, extruding your own material, or are you doing a combination of that? Yeah, probably a combination of that. Um, we so we did the uh, Charlotte Airport in in um, in fact, you guys helped us with that one too. Yeah, that's a good job. And that was all. Now we took all of Wausau's standard dies, I guess, and then help develop custom dies for that job to attach to their um, system. And then the, you know, the ex, the land side was blast and the, um, the air side was view. So we had to run, you know, so it was a really custom job done with adapted standard products, I guess. Yeah. Adapted standard products. Yeah. Same way with 301 Hillsborough. It's the base of, Conier 1600 wall, but that's about it. Yeah. And the back member is about it. <laughs> that other project, the one, it's funny, we don't work a lot together. It may sound like that to the audience, but we're naming some jobs yeah. we did together. Um, that one job where you guys did some, you're doing some retrofit um, that we were helping with. I, 
my uh, branch leader in Minnesota, he's like, hey, I need you to look at some details for me. I looked at the details and the moment I saw it, I said, that's a Gardner Metal Systems job. The horizontal runs in front of the vertical. It's got a pressure bracket, clip, like a super clip on each side. I'm like, ah, man, I haven't seen a pure I-beam curtain wall with a back flange like that for a long time. It just felt, I can't describe it. If anybody's been around long enough, when I looked at that, I just like, this is like riding a bicycle here. This is good stuff. You know, it's funny. I was at lunch today with, uh, with, um, and that was probably Juba used uh, gem systems all the time. I knew yep. Russell, met Russell, and and uh, they got a great system. They had a they had a great system, and I know Juba uh, John worked with them quite a yeah, bit. Yeah, he did. I was at lunch today talking. We did a job down here at SAS. It was like a, I don't know seven story, but we did it with the old. Uh, Vista wall, I beam curtain wall system. And my field operations guy said, why don't we do that anymore? You know, it, <laughs> it went so well. And we just had this conversation with Scott Doss. And I said, well, thermally, those systems, you know, they don't work as well as the UT systems. There's just evolution in technology. Right. But, but you didn't waste any, uh, you didn't waste any time or metal on those old I beam systems, you know? That's true. Thermally improved back then was. Well, I have I have uh, PVC isolators on my trim darts when I snap my trim on. Isn't that good enough? Like, or I got slots punched in my uh, mullion or my I-beam, which... Yeah, you have uh, skipped a bridge and things like that, or yeah, relief slots, but it certainly is simple. So I enjoyed seeing that. Um, does SPS have... Like, do you have a particular brand or a particular why, like a particular reason and purpose for your existence that you, that, you know, you're like on the elevator pitch with people or is it, is it just embedded in kind of the things you've spoken about your quality and your experience and your financial strength? I, I think, um, I think people look at us and say, you know what, I don't want to, have three different trades on this job. I'm going to get, let's get SPS involved. That's really a big selling point for us that we do the entire envelope and they'll, they'll get, you know, a glass guy here and then say, well, you sub the panels. Yeah. To that. I do all the fabrication in-house and when there's a problem, they know that if I mess it up or they mess it up, I can turn it around. And if someone else is buying it from, you know, panel company in Georgia, they're going to get back in line when, when they need to. So I think that is a big selling point for us. Um, our financial strength is, is a big part too. I mean, there's not a lot of big guys around here and, and I never thought I would be saying that about us. I thought it was going to be a, uh, a, uh, you know, smaller company, but we just, we kept growing and, you know, last year was a really, really good year for us too. I did, we're a we're a forty to forty two million dollar infrastructure type company, so we worked a lot of overtimes and a lot of shifts, a lot of work, a lot of hard work went into last year, and um, this year we're going to be able we're going to be off that, but we'll be fine. But how how did you accomplish that in a COVID year? Was that already suppressed backlog already in the pipeline? Yeah, it was funny because when the COVID uh, thing hit, there was that three or four months of um, everybody trying to figure out what to do. And, and down here, construction main, remained essential, um, but people didn't know how to work on job sites. So things were getting delayed. 
And that just kept building up this bubble for us. And, you know, two or three jobs slipped a month or two months or three months. And now all of a sudden they're on top of these jobs. And I always used to going back to the flower city days, Armco could never figure out how, you know, one month I would do X amount of dollars. And the next month I would be, uh, cause they were used to running, you know, yield of steel through the steel mills. And uh, they could never figure out how one month I'd do this. And the next month I'd do this in revenue. And yeah. I would say, yeah, it's all timing. You guys are the ones that stop your fiscal year at the end of the year. I mean, you know, <laughs> they, they always thought that was funny, but um, you know, at the end of the, at the end of the day, you know, it's all about the, the timing. And if you're going to start, if you're going to start taking work to fill holes in your shop, short-term holes, that can get real risky. So yeah, we, ride them out. we ride them out and, and um, we've been very successful doing that. So Well, you can probably load, sorry, go ahead. Yeah. Our backlog looking forward is great. So. Well, that we'll have to talk about that for a minute. Well, I would guess that you can load balance a little more with your backlog since you're self-performing a lot of the work you're manufacturing yourself. So you have two, three, four months, people couldn't figure out what they were going to do or when the job was going to really go. You're, you're optimizing people in the shop, right? You're, you're, you're booking labor, you're building stuff, you're, you're putting it in the yard, you're inventorying that, getting ready to put it on a job site. Yeah, we, you're absolutely right. And you should have touched on that. We have pictures of the uh, concrete parking lot just stacked full of millions and ACM panels. And yeah. we just kept going. And eventually when they they got the jobs back and going and and then you would have a, a COVID outbreak and they'd shut you down for three days and, you know, everybody had to go get tested and all. So those first six months were, you know, um, I think just sporadic enough to, to lump up all this work together and and um, and give us the best year we had, both both margin wise and uh, wow. revenue wise. Congratulations! Yeah, and, that's and great. It doesn't always work that way though. No, congratulations on that. But you said something interesting. You said oh, we've got a you know we're not going to do as much this year, but we got a great backlog going forward. Did you see a gap? from COVID? Like, did you see a suppression in estimates and then an increase or are you, what are you seeing now? Are you seeing more bids and more releases, more bids, no releases, some combination? What's your take on that? So yeah, good, good question. Our, um, our backlog for next year is tremendous. It's, it's where we want it. We're looking for work in the fourth quarter of next year only. So we got that taken care of, but the next couple months, we have what we're calling the COVID bubble two, which is um, there was a period of time where their owners, developers, architects, everybody sort of, hey, let's back off here. Let's not spend any more time drawing architects drawing and let's see where this thing's going. And it created, and I, and I ask around the industry, GCs, everybody, they see it here, same kind of, same kind of thing. It's this two or three month, Hey, we don't have a lot to, we don't have a lot going on right here. So we have to, uh, we have to figure out some ways. And, you know, there's always things that you can do and, and, and we're doing the same thing on some jobs now and just backlogging things in the, in the field. So, yeah. That's interesting. You know, um, I'll comment that in a minute. We've, I've seen an increase in consulting. I was 
my observation, I was talking to somebody, I can't remember if it's one of my people or somebody outside saying, you know what, owners, building owners that own facilities, what do they do? They own facilities. They, that's their product. What are they going to do with that facility? They're either going to be improving it. They're going to be building something new and closing it. So as they get more time on their hands, well, now they're going to be figuring out, well, why do we keep having a moisture problem there? And shouldn't we really replace that panel that has bad finish for years? And so we're, we're still seeing, especially with hospital work and some of the other more institutional work, we're seeing more work on the either the front end or the back end because they're going to tinker with their facilities. You know, there's that's just the way it is. There may not be as many new projects. Right. The new projects we are seeing are generally smaller, fussier, or they were backlogged prior to COVID or right during the early part of COVID, and then they got put on hold, and now they're ramping up again. So I don't know if you've seen similar kind of things. Yeah, so one of the reasons we're having a few slow months here is we this area is big uh, pharmaceutical. So we did the Pfizer um, facility yep. uh, down in Stanford, which was part of the, the vaccine ramp up. And that was critical that, you know, there was there was no messing. So that one didn't, you know, they had to keep that one going. Then Eli Lilly's also has, um, you know, facilities going up specifically for the vaccine. And then another one, which was Apiject, um, we we were working on getting that one and their funding and everything with the government got a little messed up. So that one went away. And then Thermo Fisher, which is another <laughs> pharmaceutical vaccine company, uh, vaccine related company, um, we're doing that right now too. So those things all sort of came feverishly and you had to get them done quickly. Yeah. You know what I mean? So there yeah. was no, there was no, um, I mean, you were, we were, we were working people overtime and doing all that stuff because, Hey, this is a really important cause here. We, we cannot be the ones to make sure that vaccines don't deliver on time or Eli Lilly doesn't get their, facility done to do whatever they were doing. So that's wonderful. Nobody would think that, but you're, you're working uh, in a way that's helping to facilitate public health, regardless of one's position on the vaccine. Good for you. Um, uh, What kind of projects are you seeing now in your region? Are you seeing a different type of project as compared to the mix we had before, which was heavy with office facilities, office buildings, along with all the other types, are you still seeing office buildings or are you seeing other types of jobs? One of our major projects in uh, in the backlog is an office facility campus that has fit and center, everything, separate buildings, five separate buildings. So that that complex, we were fortunate enough to get. Um, the other projects that we're really seeing is hospital work, big hospital. hospital work. Yeah, we're seeing hospital work as well because they are in flux and they're trying to deal with the demand and what they think the future might look like, right? Yeah, and that one, the one we have in Charlotte is a uh, is an MOB and CEP and then the main hospital just, you know, you know, big, big hospital down in Charlotte that's just building a whole brand new facility um, outside of Charlotte. So it's massive and it, it's... Um, 
And we just finished a major job here for Rex um, or finishing a job, which is right here in Holly Springs, not far from us. So pharmaceutical um, hospital. And then of course, higher education here is big with within 20 miles, UNC, NC State and Duke are all within 20 miles of each other. So we, we constantly um, are doing work on those, on those campuses. Do you guys do service glass as well or try to stay away from that? So I never did because I didn't know anything about it. I knew how to, you know, do unitized high-rise curtain wall when I came here. So the service business was not something I had. But about a year ago, we started getting a demand for smaller projects. So we call, we started an SBD group, which is small projects division that just bids work at four or 500,000 and under. Really? So that has become um, partially part of our service work. We get service work through them because they're out knocking on doors and, and, and doing some of that work. So I didn't know that. That's, yeah, that's we good just to know. Started, we have a young man that uh, we hired two or three years ago and just, we tried it with integrating it into our business. Can't do it. Can't. Yeah. Do it. Just like you mentioned how the, the exterior cladding group, or the facilities group always seems to be a separate part of the larger holding corporation. They never know where to put it. So let's stick it on its own. Small projects versus larger projects. That's, that's not the same thing or monumental versus standard. That's not the same thing. You know what I mean? It's like, you've got to diversify within your niche just to manage these jobs correctly. I agree. We tried to do it, you know, and, uh, let's just give it to this PM and he'll manage this $7 million job and this $4 million job and this $150,000 job. Well, you know what gets neglected. Yeah. The $150,000 job and he doesn't want to do it ever again. Yeah. And then he just, why, why are you wasting my time on that stuff? So it's worked out well. We've been able to uh, add a couple people to him and uh, he's doing fine. So starting do, small and slow. Do you see a change? Have you seen a change over the last, 35, 40 years in the, um, I don't want to say the quality, the amount of information provided in architectural contract documents then versus now, or is it just a different level of scale? Like, do you have to interpret more or is that not different to you? Oh yeah, absolutely. You know, when we started in New York, I'll tell you a quick story. There was a gentleman and he was probably 70 years old. He worked for Emery Roth and Sons, which was a big architect in New York. And he did, his claim to fame was, well, he and his, his office, they did all the working drawings on the original Twin Towers. So they had design architects and they had working drawing architects that worked out almost all the details. Um, nowadays, you know, we're having to carry professional liability insurance because we're working out and I'm not I'm not blaming that on the architects. They're they're doing what you know what they're probably uh, sanctioned to do, but a lot of it is falling down to the the subcontractors. Um, yes, I believe that a lot. And he 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 became good friends with me and he did the architecture for my addition in Huntington, Long Island. And um, nice did it on the side. So I always, my claim to fame was, see, that addition was done by a guy that did that work. That work. <laughs> That's good. That's good. So 
How about how about form? Are you seeing more drawing products or more electronic construction document products coming to you in Revit form as opposed to AutoCAD form? Or are you just working with PDFs and it doesn't matter what the form is? Now uh, we're starting to see more Revit form. All of our, you know, we've trained our, um, all five of our engineers upstairs on, um, in Revit. Um, so we're starting to see Revit more and more here. AutoCAD completely. That's, we don't, we receive everything now in AutoCAD and, and they work off AutoCAD. I have, uh, uh, if I ever, if I ever decide to sell the business, I'll, uh, I'll sell off about 45 TVs because that's everybody, <laughs> everybody has two TVs on their desk from project managers down because they just read the drawings on the TVs now. Yeah. No, uh, double monitor is great. Actually, it's a huge productivity thing. I've got a triple monitor. I don't have anything the size of a TV, but in this environment, I find I've got, you know, my center, my center monitor, I've got my laptop to the side. It's all docking station. I've got Outlook email and OneNote here. I've got MS Teams and spreadsheets here, and I've got Bluebeam in my server directory here. And Mike, I haven't reviewed a set of calculations or shop drawings with a pen on my desk for two years. Yeah. It's it's all Bluebeam. It's all tabbed and redlined in Bluebeam. Um, sometimes we're doing interactive sessions in Bluebeam in MS Teams. You know, sharing screen and give me control of that. You know, you're writing on it, and uh, it's crazy. Yeah. We went from Plan Grid to Bluebeam about two years ago, and it's um, everybody. Yeah, yeah, couldn't get everybody to embrace Plan Grid as well as everybody's embraced. Project managers through engineers have all embraced uh, Bluebeam. That's really good. It's a very nice, intuitive. I think it's an intuitive program. Yeah. So, um, can we can we talk about golf for a minute? Sure. So you said you love to golf. So. How often do you golf? Do you, you get out every week? I mean, are you serious, like tournaments, all that stuff? What do you do? Uh, well, I do all the industry tournaments. Um, you know, growing up in Pennsylvania, I, I never played golf. You know, I was a big fisherman, and that was my hobby. And, and um, you know, golf was not even part of my – I played football. The reason I went to a Division three school was I played football – and was um, recruited there, and they they helped give me aid to to go to college. That's probably a big reason I went to college. But golf became, as I said, in New York, I had no other entertainment other than that four bucks. So I was out there, you know, borrowed a set of left-handed clubs from a friend, and and uh, have been playing for years. And I'm not that I'm okay, but I get out almost uh, every weekend for one day. And my wife's now playing after we've, you know, all the kids are out of the house. She played in Long Island and uh, she goes out and plays with me. So if she wants to play, I'll play two days. Nice. Uh, and you're yeah. a lefty? I am a lefty, yeah. I'm a lefty too. Uh, uh, yeah, or, more, more power yeah. to the lefties. Yeah, yeah. I went to a design, well, a... a one of the design meetings I went to one time, it was at LDS Torino, which is now, I think, part of Stantec or something um, in Pittsburgh. And they're like, well, let's go over here. We're going to do a little, let's have a design session over here. And we kind of all stood around this table about, you know, waist high, pulled our pens out. And 
five of the six people had it in their left hand. <laughs> I'm oh, like, wow. yeah, there's some truth to right brain creative versus left brain analytical, you know? I think there is. That's incredible. That's incredible. I have quite a few lefties in the, in my group here. It's, it's funny. Yeah, I know. I find that. I, I, I enjoy playing golf. We, um, I, I belong to a club. It has three courses, so you can play a variety of courses. Nice. Trips to, we did a great industry trip to band, uh, trips to Brandon, Bandon Dunes out in, um, out in Washington, which was just a blast with, uh, the Carolina Golf Associations, but all I have a subcontract group that um, local subcontractors that do not relate to me, you know, um, David Allen Company Precision Walls, they do totally different segments of the job, but we have, uh, we have, we get together every quarter and we talk about truck policies and what do you've seen in the industry and it's just a great thing. So, we put this together and, and several of us went out there and enjoyed golf in, uh, in Washington. One of the best public courses in the, in the country. Is that, I may be wrong. Is that the course that is duplicated to be like a Scottish or is that yeah. the one? It, is it? Yeah. Is, it has the, I forget the name, the yellow the plant yeah. actually yeah. over. I forget the name of it, but boy, don't go in that. They are, they will tear you up. Those. Yeah, the guys, George Chrisman, who's with Ranker AMG, and he used to be with Walters yeah. and Wolf, him and um, some of his over old, other colleagues, I was with them one couple of years ago, and they were talking about that course, that what a spectacular course. I'm, I'm pretty sure it was that one. So I met um, I met him at uh, Conair's partner panel. They, they picked, um, I don't know how many uh, dealers and for three years you're on the board and you talk and uh, he and his wife came out uh, to Charleston and um, we hit it off. My wife is still good friends. They talk all the time on Instagram and everything else. Nice. Uh, what a great guy. You know, he was a GC originally. George. This is, you're talking about California, right? Yeah. Uh, oh, geez. I can't remember his first name. I, I apologize, but it was a, Oh, you're talking about Dave Ranker? Dave, yes. Yeah, Dave, Dave Ranker. Yeah, he was a GC and he went to as subcontractor, right? And he's in Sacramento. Right, exactly. Yeah, yeah. He was uh so what a great what a great story that is, too. Yeah. Yeah, no doubt. We did we did a little bit of work with them and yeah. quite a group. Um, as we're actually, believe it or not, we're at an hour and two as we're coming to the end of our time. I'm always interested to know with people that have had at least, you know some vocational and, and personal success or satisfaction. Do you have any routines or mindset routines, physical routines or other things that you, that help you stay grounded or that keep you focused or that you practice or organize yourself by that you think somebody could benefit from? So I don't know if it's uh, good, bad, or indifferent, but I come in and I've been told and I didn't really know I did it, but I come in in the morning and I look at the parking lot and make sure all the cars are here. And uh, I walk around for the first hour and just talk to everybody in the office. How's it going? What's going on? You know, it's mostly about work, sometime about personal stuff. And um, my HR girl says that's so important to some of the employees. So there's a routine that I didn't even know I did. 
Um, but just about it, it's every morning and, and sometimes people aren't at their desk and stuff. So it happens a lot quicker. Um, but uh, mindset wise, you know, I grew up with a couple bad, you know, I had a, a couple bad cards dealt to me uh, at a young age and, yeah. and um, anything's possible, you know, I, whether it was, whether it was a little bit of luck or a lot of bit of luck or, or, but you know, if you have the mindset that, you know, you're going to overcome something or you're going to accomplish something, you can do it. It's just, you know, it's all about self-determination. I mean, when you, when you started your business was, was that the goal to get into your own business? Yeah. Um, Yeah. I did have a goal to get in my own business, but again, it was out of the, you know, I kind of got, felt like I got capped out at, as engineering manager at MK Architectural Metal, a great firm, nothing, n- not saying anything offensive about it. In fact, I, I owe so much of my knowledge to Gary McKissick and yeah. those those folks there and Bill Keenling and Steve Evans and then Brian Traubman, all the people I worked with, um, which of course I didn't realize at the time how much I was learning as an engineer about systems. But, you know, it was time to move on and I'd always wanted to do something. But and that, that yeah. was sort of, I mean, in Flower City, I was, you know, I was not an owner of anything there, but I I enjoyed the heck out of it for 17 years I was there, I think it was. Um, yeah. But there was always that because, you know, I grew up and my brother had started his own business and I'm thinking, ah, you know, I'd love to, to, to be the guy that makes... Then you, then you think, oh man, I, if I make the wrong decision, there's no one there to back me up anymore. And, right. you know, at the end of the day, if you if you if you make decisions on a base on a day to day basis and and you're happy with them and you have some knowledge behind them, they're going to work out. You're going to make them work out. Um, I try and tell some of the younger, um, you know, the younger generation is so different than when I grew up. You know, it's uh, it's more reserved. Um, I don't know if they're used to doing things on their own more. There's not as much team collaboration. So you just have to force it. And once those people get into a team atmosphere and you, they start being able, you know, their personality comes out, it works. But if you don't, if you don't force them to get in that group, they will sit there on their computers very, very intelligently and do their work. But, it, it's they can learn so much more in that group than they can by themselves. I like that. Thanks for that advice. And I like the fact that as just part of who you are, that, that your HR director said, oh, that's so important to do, but it's not a checklist for you. The fact that you walk around and communicate with everybody, look at all the cars in the parking lot, that's just part of who you are. And yeah, that's, that's good. I grew up. The only reason I look in the parking lot is I want to make sure the majority of the people are here so I can have someone to talk to. You know? <laughs> Yeah, well, we're in a hybrid situation here at the office, and uh, we could talk about a lot of things, but we're out of time. Um, uh, yeah, we could talk about entrepreneurship and ownership and and so on. But I think there's been a lot of good information here about glass and glazing and exterior walls and panels. Um, there's so much more I'd like to pick your brain about. But is there anything you'd like to say to the audience before we sign off? Any words of wisdom or any anything before we close? Um. Well, I think it's um, proven if you, you know, at the end of the day, there's, there's such a, uh, this is such a great industry. 
a lot of people say, I want to get in this industry and this, that, and the other thing I have, uh, I have been blessed to be in this industry and, you know, you, you just, just take what you get and run with it. And, you know, eventually you'll, you, you know, you may get into a position where you're, you know, doing exactly what you want to do. And that's pretty much, pretty much my life. You know, I, I like what I do and I'm, I'm very happy uh, with the people that I do it with. So that's great. Uh, yeah. If you, if you stick to something long enough, almost always, uh, you will just by attrition sometimes wind up at the top and, but in your case, great skill and, and capability and, and some of those you've hired and mentored. And uh, it is a great industry. It's a great industry. And I take it for granted because I've been in it pretty much from the start, but I talk to folks in other industries and they're almost, they're really attracted to the collegial familial yes. kind of feel of there's a fairly small probably several thousand interconnected professionals in this business that if you don't know them directly, you're usually one degree of separation or two at the max from them. Right. Exactly. So Mike, it has been a pleasure. I thank you for your time. Thanks for all you do for your company and for the industry. Um, we are going to sign off. It's been a pleasure. John, thanks, thanks again. My pleasure. Have a great day. You too. We're signing off now. Have a great day, everybody.